0: You know, I hope you guys have been enjoying the, the uh, reading that we're doing through the New Testament, through the, B- the community Bible experience. It's really been just an awesome experience for me personally. Uh, just really enjoyed it. i got to confess right now, though, that I've missed a few days of reading. So, okay, if the pastor misses a few days, then maybe it's okay for you guys to miss a few days as well. kind of initially felt a little guilty about that. I was trying to pick up reading, but that's a lot of reading to do, right, if you miss a day or two. And what I've realized is the best thing to do is just... Start again with whatever the reading passage is for today and not worry about what I didn't read, you know, a day or two ago. And I hope that that gives you some freedom. So if you've missed some days, just pick back up where the reading is for today and then keep moving forward and enjoying what God has for us. It's been great to kind of read large sections of Scripture and what it's done for me. I don't know for you, but for me, it's been helpful for me to be able to see kind of the big picture of what God was doing in the New Testament and even be able to see from different books kind of connecting the dots and seeing something in one book and then seeing something similar in a different section of Scripture. And so it's been great. And I've really enjoyed kind of having some conversations with all of you about what you're learning, what you're seeing, the questions that are coming to your mind as you're reading some of these passages. I've really enjoyed the journey. And so today I picked uh, Mark chapter 2, this passage that was just read by Stephanie, uh, from our reading this past week. And I want to begin by asking a couple of questions. First of all, what what is God doing in our church today? And the second question behind it is simply, uh, in the future, what do we anticipate God doing in our church? You know, I want to take a look today into what I think would be the near future of what God is calling us to. And and I can tell you that we have a really clearly defined uh, purpose, a defined mission that our leadership for a number of years has felt, this is what God is calling us to be as a congregation. And that mission is simply to be a high-impact, transformative community by going deeper in Christ and further in mission. We've got these banners up here, and we often emphasize deeper in Christ and further in mission, but sometimes we don't say enough. The first part of that statement is to be a high-impact, transformative community for Christ, literally. And if we really want to be that high-impact, transformative community, we're going to only accomplish that by by faith. By faith. It's the type of faith that every member of First Covenant Church will be called to exercise. Faith is what's going to be absolutely necessary if we're going to move forward with the promises of God. And we must simply uh, be people that gossip Jesus everywhere we go and every all the folks that we're around. And exercise our faith in Him alone. And there are going to be certain faith factors that I think accompany people who live uh, with purpose in the presence of Jesus. Where Christ finds a place that is willing to receive him by faith, and where that place is obedient to him by faith, then in that place we're going to see transformation taking place. When the presence of Christ is a reality, and then the word begins to spread out in our community and in our city, uh, then that's going to be a place that people are going to be a part of. And I want you to join me just by faith even in this hour and kind of think about what are these faith factors that we can see in this encounter that Jesus has with these people in this really jam-packed house in Mark chapter 2 and see what maybe our future might look like and how it unfolds and we can see Christ glorified through the ministry that he's given us here at our church. The first faith factor I want us to think about from this passage is a a church that's full of love. Look again at verses 2 through 4 if you've got your Bibles. Open them up if you want to look on the screen. I think the verses are going to be on the screen behind me. But uh, in verses 2 through 4 it says, They gathered in such large numbers there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat to the man the man was lying on. You cannot read the story and not see the faith that's, that's impacting people's lives and producing love and concern that's displayed, I think, through the lives of God's people all through Scripture. It doesn't matter what we do or what we accomplish in this church. If we're not going to have a genuine love for the lost and those who are in need, then we're never going to be the church that God desires for us to be. The very theme of our Savior, in fact, in the Gospels, is love. It doesn't take very long for you to identify with Christ that love is compelling Him to do ministry and to love other people. And to think about some of the passages in Scripture, For God so loved the world. Uh, Jesus says, greater love has no one that he is willing to lay his life down for another. Later in the New Testament, it says, for God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and we could spend the next 20 minutes sharing all the verses about love that are in the New Testament. If we look at the life of Jesus, you're going to see love, and you're going to see his compassion. Think about the little children that came to him. The woman that was caught in adultery. The lame. The leper, the blind, the thief on the cross. I mean, we can look at different, different character after character and see Christ's love and compassion. Our mission, if we walk by faith, is to be the church that God desires us to be, is to love our lost friends so much that we love them to Christ. We must display that love in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, we love. We need to demonstrate that love everywhere. Everything that we do at First Covenant should be to meet the needs of this community through the power and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our community that we call First Covenant must be known as a place of compelling love. In 2002, Elizabeth Smart, a young teenager, was kidnapped from her home in Salt Lake, Utah. I don't know, some of you may have remembered. It was a fairly well-known kidnapping made national news and a part of the process as they were desperately searching for her was that her parents went on, on TV. And her father said on TV, he said, honey, if you're able to see this, please know that we love you so much that we will do anything possible to bring you home. First covenant. We must communicate this compelling love of Jesus to the city and say without reservation to those who are lost, those who are hurting those who are held captive to the enemy. Jesus Christ loves you. And He has an amazing purpose for your life. And not only does He love you, but we love you with the love of Christ as well. And we're going to try to do anything that we can to bring you safely to His home. A faith factor as well in this passage is a church full of cooperation. Look again at verses 3 and 4. It says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I want us just to pause at this part of the Scripture and just think about this, that that there are four men who bring this paralytic man to Jesus. And let's be clear on this point. If we're going to be a church that's a high-impact, transformative community, by going deeper in Christ and further in mission— And to see the God that, the the vision that God has given us in order to be that church and to be, be, to become in that reality, then it's going to take a cooperative effort by all of us to partner in that mission that God has given us. It can't be just a few who are doing that. It can't be just some that are doing that. It's all of us kind of playing our part and cooperating and being a part of the team. So how do we do that? Well, there's so many different ways that you can be a part of that mission, and many of you are. But I want to just think about three high, kind of high-level ways that you can help in that process. One is be willing to study God's Word. It's kind of what we're doing right now, right? We've got to be people of the Word, and so that we're spending time and building our relationship with Jesus and with the Father through His Word. And we're allowing that Word through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, And as we go through reading the word, we're also identifying the spiritual gift or gifts that God has given you and the passion that he's uniquely given to you that you can make a difference in. The second thing is be willing to engage in serving in ministry and outreach opportunities in our church and maybe even more importantly, our community. I mean, it's one thing to serve, you know, the church body, but man, Christ is calling us to serve the community as well. And then the third is to be willing to commit and cooperating by sharing your time, your talent, and your treasure for the sole purpose of bringing glory uh, of Christ and bringing others to Christ as well. So it takes all of us working together as a team by faith, doing our part, making our commitment to see God's vision become a reality. What if in that story, what if one of the men, one of the four had said, Oh, hey, wait, I, I, yeah, I know this is a, a great opportunity for our buddy here, but but did you know that I just got four tickets to the Galilee Jayhawk basketball game, like front row seats? I'd love to take him, but i got to go watch the game. I mean, this is a great opportunity, so I just can't do it today, maybe, maybe another day. And so with three guys, maybe they still can carry this guy on a mat. You know, maybe they can still get him up on the roof and through the roof, but what if one of the other guys said, Oh, yeah, gosh, I'd love to help out, but it's just not going to work out today. You know, I've heard the fish are biting in the Sea of Galilee. I, I can't miss this opportunity. I've got to go take advantage of that. And So what happens? What happens if, if two guys? It's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. If First Covenant is going to walk by faith, then we have to factor into our faith this team effort. Like it's going to be more than one or it's going to be more than a few. It's going to be all of us jumping in and, and doing our part. We each got to carry our load and cooperate by obediently following Christ. And too many churches have too few people who are trying to carry the burden of responsibility. You've kind of heard it probably, that a lot of churches, it's like 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. That can't be true if we're going to accomplish the mission that God's given to us. I look at our church, I don't believe it's 20% doing 80% of the work. I think it maybe it's 50 or 60% doing 80% of the work, but... But what if, what if 100% of us were participating and doing 100% of the work? Do you think we're going to be a high-impact, transformative community? Absolutely. We're going to be making a difference, an impact for Christ and for the kingdom. You know, uh, when we were, uh, Doug and Patty and I were able to go to Midwinter, it's a conference for pastors in the Covenant, a couple of weeks ago, one of the great things that happens there is that you're able to go and and meet with other pastors and learn what they're doing and what their churches are doing, and and sometimes you can come away with some pretty good ideas. And one of the chances I had was I had a chance to sit down with one of the pastors from a, a church in Loveland, Colorado called Crossroads, and it's a it's a pretty big church. Uh, at one point, there were about three or 4,000 people. And and they were doing great ministry. And so I was sitting down talking to him, and I, and I said, Hey, I said, uh, you know, what do you think really made a difference to kind of help you guys have a bigger influence, a bigger impact in your community? And he said, you know, as we got bigger as a church, he said one of the things we realized was happening that we didn't want to happen is we were having a lot of people who were coming, like they were coming once a week to worship, and they were receiving the blessing and the benefit of, of high-impact worship experience, but, but they weren't participating. They were missing out on the full joy of being a part of the body of Christ. And, and he's like, that was not our purpose. And so we realized we had to go back and we had to change that. And so he said we actually took a year or two, and we really emphasized and we focused on everybody finding a place to serve and getting in the game and being a part of the team. And he said, man, that really made a difference. He said we were able to impact so many more people, and we had so many more people serving. Guess what? When you don't serve and you sit, it hurts the church. But it also robs you of the blessing that God has for those who walk by faith and live in an act of obedience to His Word. We must all carry the load of the mission that God has given us. A third factor of faith in this passage I want us to think about is a church that's full of changed lives. Now look at verse 5. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, this is the faith of the friends of the paralyzed man. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. That's the good news in this passage. It's the place where Jesus demonstrates and basically says, I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. This is it. This is good news for not just the paralyzed man, but for all of us. Jesus has this power. Now, it's interesting in this passage that Jesus doesn't forgive this guy's sins because of his faith. He forgives this guy's sins because of the faith of his friends. That says a lot about what we can accomplish through our own faith in interceding for others that we are in contact with. It's a picture of intercessions. Those that may not have the faith we can have the faith for them. We can stand in the gap and apply our faith to their lives to see conquering faith bring victory in their lives and transformation. And what happens there, I think, eventually, is that they do begin to have faith. They do do begin to trust in Christ as they move forward. I think one of the most tragic sections of Scripture in the New Testament uh, concerns the work of Jesus uh, in the church is when He returned to His hometown. There's a part of Scripture that talks about that Jesus, after he began his earthly ministry, he goes back to his hometown and he begins to preach to the people in his own community. And we're told in Scripture that he's met with skeptics and ridicule. And he ends up leaving his hometown. And the passage says he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Jesus, the Son of God, could not do ministry in his own town because of the unbelief of the people in that town. The people of First Covenant, we've got to capture through cooperative prayer the power of His Spirit that results in seeing lives changed. We must be a people that are determined to overcome any obstacle that would limit somebody from coming to Christ. A fourth faith factor I want us to think about in this passage is a church that's full of challenges. That's an active church. That's a church that's making a difference. Look at verses 6 through 9. The scribes were sitting there, and they're thinking as they're observing all that's happening in front of them, they're kind of in their mind going, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. We don't know about this. Uh, we're not sure what you're doing here, Jesus. I, I don't know if we approve of how you're handling this situation. This is quite different than anything we've ever seen or experienced before. And so, and then probably in their minds, they're also kind of looking at the hole in the roof, and they're going, who's going to fix the hole in the church building, right? And so that's a challenge. And we're, we're kind of seeing one thing that the scribes do well in this passage. Look at verse 6. It says, they were sitting. They were sitting. I think it's more significant than just we think it is. These guys were sitting, and they have a critical spirit about them. And some were probably in their mind thinking, you know, remember now, I'm a pillar in this faith community. I'm, I'm a leader, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. And, you know, my response is a pillar is nothing more than a piece of dead stone standing in one place that never changes. My grandfather was a farmer in northwest Kansas when I was growing up and, and he had a saying that I think that could apply to the body of Christ. He said you should never talk about how crooked a man's rows are in his field unless you first have plowed your own. The paralytic man was not the only guy who was paralyzed in that ho- in that house that night. The teachers of the law their minds were paralyzed. Because they put God in a box. And they were the holders of the God box because that's what they decided. You know, they were the ones who decided what was acceptable and what was not acceptable to God in all spheres of life so that people could live in accordance with God's will as they understood it. And they understood that only God can forgive sin. And they were asking, who is this guy that thinks that he can forgive sin? And it's ultimately a fantastic question. The only problem is, is that they already had their mind made up about what that meant. In their mind, they had already closed to the idea that Jesus could be the son of God. The reality is that we all have some form of paralysis in our own life. We can be paralyzed by weak faith, fear of failure, addictions, broken relationships, Uh, Pride, lust, greed, pursuit of pleasure. I mean, the list can just go on and on. All the things that can handicap us in terms of our own lives. Keeping us from living a life of purpose and and full abundant life that that God desires, intends for us to live. The bottom line is, is that all of us are paralyzed in some form or fashion by sin. We're all paralyzed by sin. But the good news is is that Jesus came not to condemn us in our sin, but literally to heal us and to forgive us of that sin. He's the one who has the power and the authority to do that. If we're honest, we can say we all relate to the teachers of the law in that home that day. Our human condition limits our ability to see God for who He is and what He's doing in our midst. Jesus came to heal and to forgive to do the things that only God can do for, on our behalf. And yet again, sometimes we're like, we're blind. We're blind to what God's doing like the teachers of the law, to who Christ is and what he's doing for us. You, anytime you see a people who understand the faith factor and they participate in the work of God, you're also going to see the enemy who goes to work and he starts to bring about as many challenges as he can to do whatever he can to stop the power of God from moving through the people of God. And I think a lot of times it starts, the enemy starts with creating a critical spirit in some of the people of God. And, you know, when we look at that, God doesn't need more critics in the church, right? I mean, the church, if we're honest, it's full of imperfect people. It's an imperfect organization. It's an imperfect body. But God doesn't need more critics. He needs more helpers. He needs more partners in that process. You see, we must respond, not react to a challenge. And that's what Jesus did. We respond by faith in the Word of God, and Jesus addressed that challenge that day and put it in perspective, and he calls us to do the same. The last faith factor I want us to look at in this passage is a church that's full of his power. Look again at verses 11 and 12. It says, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. The gospel of Jesus is always going to ask us to do what we cannot accomplish on our own. Lame people cannot walk. They cannot walk without the help and the power of God and the power demonstrated through his own word for his glory. The paralyzed man finally displayed his faith in this story. He stood up and he walked. But I can imagine that he had to be somewhat skeptical that he could stand and he could walk. He'd been paralyzed his whole life. And I'm sure there was some fear in him that kind of asked the question, okay, if I risk here and it doesn't work, oh, what a failure. It's going to crush my hopes. Any desire I have that it could possibly be true. And sometimes we feel like it's almost safer not to try, not to step out in faith than to actually step out in faith. But ultimately, he did that, right? So if we're going to make a difference uh, for Christ, we have to be a church who's going to step out in faith in order to be that high-impact, transformative community. We're not going to accomplish it in our own abilities. We're not going to accomplish it in our own power. If, we're only going to make a difference for Christ in our community if we're willing to risk trying some new things that we've never tried before, allowing some things to happen that we're not always comfortable with, and going places that maybe we've never gone before. It's going to require great faith in order to be able to do greater things for Christ, If we play it safe, our actions will show that we don't fully trust in the power of Christ to accomplish great things. Can He be trusted? Can we trust Him to help us do great things for Him? Our faith and our actions are going to demonstrate whether we really believe He's the Son of God or if we just think He's a really great guy. It will. Our faith and our action will testify to what we believe about Christ. You see, Jesus is powerful And in this story, we see not only is he powerful, but he's capable. Who else has demonstrated the power to heal a paralyzed man? Who else has demonstrated not only the power, but the authority to forgive sins? Not only does Christ forgive sins, but he demonstrates his power through his love, by his his willingness to go the distance, to go to the cross for our sins. Not because of anything that he did, not because of anything wrong that he did. This passage, it's a remarkable scene that's demonstrating the faith of a few friends and then the power of Christ at work to do healing and to forgive this man's sins. I just want to to close the message by asking uh, us today, who do you identify with in this story? You know, one of the ways we can really make Scripture come alive is as we read a story, we can ask the question of Christ, Christ, who do I most identify with in this story? There's some pretty interesting characters in this story. And so I want to just ask us to read ourselves into the characters in this story and ask ourselves a few questions. So we've got the questions on the screen behind me. The first question is, do you identify with the friends? If so, in what way is God inviting me to risk and sacrifice to help bring another to the source of healing? So behind that is the question, if not me, who? If not now... When? It's an important question. Maybe you identify with the teachers of the law. In what ways am I stuck in the traditional or skeptical or judgmental ways of thinking that limits me and the church from partnering with God and accomplishing his mission in new and powerful ways? Again, God and the church, we don't need more critics. We need more helpers. We need more partners. And if we're stuck we're stuck, and that's not good. God doesn't want us to be stuck. God wants us to be moving. He wants us to be active. He wants us to be uh, partnering and making a difference. Third, maybe it's you're identifying with the paralyzed man. What in my life paralyzes me from being the person that God created me to be? Where do I need to seek healing and forgiveness? You know, am I willing to be vulnerable? Am I willing to be vulnerable and trust Jesus with the most broken parts of my life, the places that maybe nobody else really fully knows and, and, and understands? Do I trust Him? Is he, is he powerful? Is He capable? The fourth question, or fourth, fourth identity, the crowd. Do you identify with the crowd? In what ways have I seen God work powerfully that I can praise Him like the crowd that day? You know, if I confess too often as I go about my days, God's at work, and sometimes I even recognize that, but it's almost become like, a, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's really nice. And then I just keep going on with my day, and I don't take enough time to stop and, and celebrate God's activity, to give thanks for God at work in our lives and in my life and in other people's lives, in our community, in our world. And, and what's happening there is, is that I'm basically saying, hey, God's not that special. But do you realize that any time that we see God at work in our world, it's divine intervention? It's a miracle any time we see God at work in our world. And that ought to be a time to pause and reflect and to give thanks for God for His loving care and His activity in our lives. As I close this morning, I just want to leave us with this thought, that we worship and serve a Savior who has the power and authority to forgive sins and to heal Our broken places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story, this testimony of Christ at work in and through this situation. God, we thank you that Christ demonstrated once and for all that he has the power and authority to forgive sins and to heal those broken places. God, we pray that we would uh, have increased faith You know, that we would be like the friends who are willing to go the extra mile. That we'd be like the paralyzed man who'd be willing to try to stand up and trust that you're at work in our lives. God, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found as a church that's willing to do what we can. To do bigger things. To trust you for the bigger things. Because God, we believe that you're good. And you're faithful. And you're powerful. And you're capable. God, help us where our faith is small and our faith is weak. Increase our faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.